You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Live Free Now show. I'm your host, John Bush, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. And today we are going to be joined here in a moment by Joe Quirk of the Seasteading Institute to talk about the radical innovations taking place on the open sea. Just about every single square inch of land in this earth is controlled and dominated by authoritarian government. And there's a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of free thinkers, a lot of radicals that are exploring the possibilities of carving out their little piece of sovereignty on the earth. And the place that they're looking to is the deep blue sea. There's folks exploring space. There's folks exploring the digital world, I guess. And uh, today we're going to be focusing on seasteading, which is building housing, businesses, hospitals out on the open sea. We're going to talk with Joe. He's he's uh, the authority on the subject. And as it turns out, it's not just an idea or some crazy thought in someone's head. It is a reality. And there are several firms and nonprofits that are working to make this happen. And in fact, it's already happened and it's happened in the past. And unfortunately the government doesn't like it, but there are some governments that are cozying up to the idea. So we'll talk about some of the setbacks and some of the successes and what the future holds for this promising new way, new place to live. Uh, before we do that, I wanna invite you to check out livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show, where you can find blog posts and all of the podcasts that I've done. We just did one with James Corbett, Yesterday, that was a really great podcast. I guess it was a couple days ago. Lots of great in-depth information. And I strongly encourage you to subscribe to the RSS feed. As you know, big tech, YouTube and Facebook are censoring like crazy. So we want you to stay in touch with us. Go hit those subscribe buttons on these different feeds. And also, please join our newsletter. That's one of the best ways to keep in touch via our email newsletter. Finally, quick plug. If you are interested in cryptocurrency, if you want to learn about Bitcoin, the ins and out, if it feels a little bit overwhelming to you, I am offering consultation services. You can book a one hour, two hour consult with me. I'll help you set up a wallet, make sure you're doing it safely and securely, show you how to acquire crypto, how to spend it, how to send it, how to back up all the wallets, all that good stuff. Been involved in the space for quite some time. And if you want to do that, you want to take advantage of the wisdom I've bought low and I've sold high. I've bought high and I've sold low. I've made a lot of mistakes and I've learned from them. And I want to share that information with you so you don't repeat those same mistakes. You can go to SovereignBTC, SovereignBTC.YouCanBook.Me. Again, that's SovereignBTC.YouCanBook.Me. All right. Without further ado, let's bring up our guest for today, Mr. Joe Quirk. How are you? I'm really good. I'm glad you're talking about Bitcoin because that's what's paid for the first uh, seastead and the first uh, cruise ship. That's awesome. It's so cool that a lot of innovative people and radical folks made a whole lot of money off of Bitcoin because they're they're in turn you know paying it forward and doing a lot of cool stuff that has to do with freedom. So that's good to hear. 
Yeah, let's just get started. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, uh, share a little bit about your background, and I'm curious how it is that you got involved with seasteading. Uh, my name is Joe Quirk. I'm I'm president of the Seasteading Institute. Uh, I, I co-founded the first seasteading company, as far as I know, uh, Blue Frontiers. Uh, I'm a communicator. I'm a writer. I'm a public speaker. Uh, and when I really grokked uh, the possibilities in seasteading and realized it's realistic, it can work, and it can work soon, I realized uh, all these people need is a storyteller. They need people. Um, the problem was it was all uh, engineers and economists and lawyers all, all speaking in their gobbledygook. Uh, and part of what I do as an author is I listen to the specialist and find a way to explain it to normal people. And I could also see that the problem with this idea is that it seems crazy to most people. Um, and when you describe it, there's a cascade of questions. There's like 25 questions in a row that all seem unanswerable. What about pirates? What about hurricanes? What about tsunamis? And they all have answers. But if you ask the specialists, they'll go on for 20 minutes and use a lot of lingo. And, mm -hmm. and, and so um, part of what I do is write books ex explaining things like evolutionary biology to people. And I realized in order to make this happen, I feel like we're in a race between uh, freedom and the rising state. And seasteading to me is the best, most realistic path forward. It's going to demonstration works better than persuasion. And I said, we need this to happen by 2020, which I said, at the, I said at the time when I was first hearing about it in 2011, we need this to happen by 2020, not by 2050. And the problem is we need a thousand times more brains to be focused on this. We need many more specialists to take it seriously. And we need to communicate it. We need a mainstream book. We need, we need simple answers that regular people can understand the message. This is not a technical effort. This is a story and people get their meaning by internalizing a story. And I think um, Seasteading started, the first Seasteading stead was built in 2019, legit Seastead outside the territorial waters of every nation. And it worked. Um, and I think starting in 2020, they're gonna build the, start building the Model T Seasteads through Ocean Builders in Panama, which has access to two oceans 50 miles apart. And uh, they're, they're parked on a cruise ship called the Satoshi. Um, and they want to start filling that up with a community to help them build uh, seasteads. What we just saw on the screen was the prototype designed to make it work, designed to demonstrate that it can work. Um, it was, it's a simple thing. It's, a, it's the size of a shed. Uh, Chad and Nadia, the current seasteading celebrities, lived aboard it for two months. And it was a demonstration project. Um, and it was sort of done as a reaction to the problem we ran into at my company, Blue Frontiers, where we were going to build larger, more expensive seasteads in French Polynesia. And the problem was talking about it and, and, and drawing pictures of it and allowing artists to imagine it. It made everybody panic. Um, so everyone's talking about whatever's happening in their brain. And, and Chad and Nadia were like the lead volunteers at that company, uh, you know basically living off Bitcoin. Um, and they actually moved to the atoll where we planned to build the seastead and lived there for a while and reported back to us what it's going to be like. And they said that one of the reasons um, this got crushed by a national election in French Polynesia is that people couldn't see what it was going to be. So, that, so their imaginations ran wild and they panicked. What we need to do 
is build one of these things on a small scale, show people what it is, say, see, it's not scary and it works. How about we do more? Yeah. So uh, what's exciting about talking to you and your crowd at length is that I can explain why everything that everybody has heard about in the media is wrong about everything. Uh, so that so one of the, be the case. Yeah. So one of the things that's wrong is, oh, they just went out there and built this and didn't ask anybody permission. Uh, they did all that. They, they spoke to the, the harbor master in Thailand who granted permission. They, they independently, the different members of Ocean lawyers in Thailand who all told them, you're more than 12 miles out. You're, you're, you're not breaking any of the rules of the contiguous zone. You're good. Uh, they, were, they weren't keeping it a secret. They were very open about it. They applied for a business license in Thailand. And it was all about what category was it in. And it was just uh, meant as a demonstration project, a prototype to show that it works. And then it was just an engineering feat. And then they'd build fancier uh, restaurants and things like that in cooperation with the tourist industry of Thailand. That was the plan. So there was a big setback there because of some rogue admirals in the Thai Navy. There's, I made a whole documentary about that fiasco. But uh, luckily, we found a, a sane, more appropriate government in Panama, which is right at the Panama Canal. It's the central hub of shipping in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they already have five special economic zones. Um, so they're familiar with this experimenting with governance and bringing prosperity. So they're uh, arranging for them to build the first community to demonstrate the technology works uh, in Panama. And once they win hearts and minds with how beautiful it is and fill the cruise ship with all of your audience, um, on the, the nonprofit end of the Seasteading Institute front, I'm working on acquiring a, a flag, um, which is a flag of convenience, which is different from a territorial flag, which if we sign up uh, with a respectable flagging registry, uh, allowing us a flag of convenience in international waters, to our specifications, not for a barge, not for a ship, not for an oil platform, but a new kind of structure redefined in international law, a seastead. Mm -hmm. um, then basically two thirds of the world's surface is open for freedom and experimentation with governance. And if the first few set a good example, more money will come in, more people will get interested. If you're interested in startup companies, you'll be particularly interested in startup societies. Um, so uh, that's what we're after now. Uh, Excellent. Uh, getting people on the board, this cruise ship, building the community and getting a flag for international waters. Nice. And uh, you brought up the Thai story. I wanted to get into that and I don't want to scare people away at the beginning, but uh, can you share specifically what the response was of the Thai government and what Chad and Nadia were facing as far as federal crimes? Yeah. So another thing to point out is the the Thai government uh, never did anything. Yeah. Um, this was the act of particular vice admirals in the Thai yeah. Navy who kind of went rogue uh, and in my, you know, we could talk, I'll, I'll resist talking about their motives, but, you know, they brought the, when they went out to take the seastead, they brought, you know, hundreds of press people with them and posed next to the seastead about how heroic they are. And you can see the pictures are all carefully laid out. There, wow. There's no way these people were a threat. Um, as a matter of fact, it's very, it would be, it's very hard to find the seastead when it's 13 miles out. Mm -hmm. Nobody's even out there. Just some yeah, shit. Yeah, no one's even out there. 
and you, and you, if you're on the water, you can't even see the land from where it is. You have to go up to the top of the seastead to even see an island 20 miles away. So um, I, I think it. Uh, so the the Thai Navy basically charged them with treason, which doesn't wow. make sense because one of them's an American citizen. Uh, and then they they fled. Um, and the actual thing that they experienced over the next 10 days is far more harrowing. It's straight out of a Hollywood movie. Um, they were very smart. Uh, all the things you were hearing in the media were them playing embassies and, and, and people in different countries off each other. They were ejected from every country. Wow. They were sending people on wild goose chases with their intermittent uh, access. So uh, I, I'm going to write a book about their whole unbelievable thriller. And this, this is going to be a Hollywood movie, their 10-day their adventure wow. and how they escaped. It's crazy. Truth is stranger than fiction. Okay, well, um, before we get into some of the details about the situation taking place with Panama, right? There's a lot of radicals and rebels that just want to opt out and just do things. And then there's a more... Uh, tailored, a little bit more conservative, even though what we're doing is totally radical, a conservative approach where you actually build relationships, contracts, and agreements with the government so as not to put investments at risk and stuff. And um, that sounds like what's taking place in Panama. But first, let's just do some overall uh, understanding of what the Seasteads are and what they what they can do for people. So I know you wrote a book, and I think it would be a great... Uh, a great way for us to kind of uh, frame the conversation. The title of the book, which I thought was great, I'm surprised the the publishers let you get this one out there. Seasteading: How floating nations will restore the environment, enrich the poor, cure the sick, and liberate humanity from politicians. So, can you share with us some of the reasons why having a floating seastead, whether it's a ship or these anchored things or a bunch of pods that are all connected together, how could this help restore the environment? Yeah, I'm glad you 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 brought up being surprised that a prestigious publisher like Simon and Schuster would let that title get out there, because nobody involved wanted that title to get out there. Um, <laughs> my editor didn't want it to get out there. My, you know, it's a provocative title. That's what the yeah. book is, is about. Yeah. Um, and, and the way I got that title out there is I, I threw a Hail Mary pass, which is I found myself on an email chain with like the head of Simon and Schuster. Uh, and he was saying, well, yeah, we don't like these various titles that have been proposed. So mm -hmm. before anybody could answer with like nine people on the email, I proposed the title I wanted and then was like, oh my God, am I going to be in big trouble? And then the head guy wrote back saying, oh my God, that's great. That's what we're going with. So I went over the head. Nice. Like everyone was objecting, and I had my, you know, free us from politicians in there. You went straight to the decision maker. A very yeah. good business move. It, it definitely gone against me. And what's so delightful about all this is that everything I talked about in this book on a grand global scale, I never imagined would be achieved within a couple of years by ocean builders on a tiny scale that's affordable for uh, Americans. Yeah. So they made, they didn't have to build this thing gigantically to make it stable in, in two meter waves. Um, they could build it for one family. They could do it uh, affordably for one family. I write about how seasteads are the real answer to environmentalism. Matter of fact, they're the next step beyond sustainability. They, they usher in the age of environmental restoration because everything you build that's floating on the sea life just starts attaching to it and ecosystems grow on it. 
So with every seastead you build, you increase the amount of life on the ocean. So all this algae and carbuncles and, and fish and, 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 and things nesting on your, on your structure, this is a nuisance for boats because it prevents you from moving. But it's a garden for seasteads. It's crops mm -hmm. for seasteads. These are uh, edible foods. Mm -hmm. And the more of these you build, um, the more it's, it's better for the water, it, the more uh, carbonic acid you absorb from the water. And they plan to grow uh, coral ecosystems on these things. Uh, so the, the lead engineer involved, he's developed a process to uh, triple the speed of the standard Wolf-Hilberth process by which coral grows on, on solid structures at sea. So at, over time, you encase this, the sea stead that's underwater inside coral. Cool. It's like a giant seashell. And then, it be, then it's able to float for centuries at sea. Uh, and what's so amazing is that first prototype that was out there for a couple of months immediately fish it's called a fish aggregation device mm -hmm. fish start coming in and claiming little holes as their home uh, life starts growing on it um you know you go out there in the andaman sea you don't see much fish if you're scubaing around it's kind of rare but close to the seastead they were just everywhere and they talk about thousands of fish around the seastead so everything i talked about in the book including growing seaweed having cageless fish that just live at your seastead that grow themselves and you could just fish out of there and eat them and they're cool. healthy and parasite free and all that stuff. That was all happening on a tiny scale. Um, Got to get that message that this is way better than sustainability. This is, this is environmental regeneration, eco restorative societies that if we can also make them uh, legally independent, step-by-step step legally free, we have to win the hearts and minds of people with freedom so that the key message of seasteading is um, demonstration beats persuasion. Yep. Uh, I, I've, you don't know, but I've been following you for many years and you know, I've, I've, all sorts of great arguments are made about why freedom works better and why people should embrace it. Lo and behold, you know, whole nations don't change their minds. Um, you have to go and show it and demonstrate that it's better. And then you can change the old governments as significantly as Hong Kong changed China. Yeah. Right on. There's a book, uh, Machinery of Freedom by David Friedman, and he talks about you can educate people through books, you can educate them through lecture, but the best way to educate them is by showing them. And interestingly enough, it sounds like Patrick Freedom, Friedman is involved in the seasteading world as well. Okay, yeah. how about the next little thing on the title there? How might seasteads enrich the poor? Because you already started off. I'm a big uh, researcher when it comes to the World Economic Forum and this great reset phenomenon we say taking place in Agenda 2030. And oftentimes these powerful insiders, they leverage, they pull people's heartstrings and they try to put on this progressive front when in reality they're like techno fascist oligarchs. But they always say that the big problems are the environment and poverty. And because of that, we need more centralization and we need more surveillance of the humankind. So this could be a great alternative to offer up to some of these folks to kind of steal some of their thunder. So how might the Seastead movement help to enrich the poor? Yeah, the, the, the fallacy in their thinking, bottom line, is that you solve global problems by centralizing more power in really smart, saintly humans. Uh, and, and you and I understand that you solve these problems by decentralizing power among billions of people and then through the market and price mechanisms, we act as a giant global brain that solves problems faster than any individual can, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. and, and seasteading is a mechanism for the decentralization of power. Now, the co-author in this book is Patrick Friedman. 
mm-hmm. grandson of Milton Friedman, son of David Friedman, <clears throat> who wrote The Machinery of Freedom. Mm-hmm. And I contend that everything in that he writes about in The Machinery of Freedom at sea. And it's currently entering its golden age, and people don't know about this. So, like, there are there are there's thousands of ships on the sea. There's a whole world out there. Um, there's there's uh, certification companies. There's safety regulation companies. There's slave free seas. There's all sorts of organizations that don't have any state power, um, but they're basically free market. Uh, rule providers, their free market dispute resolution through uh, Lloyd's of London. I can talk at great length about this. It's another book I want to write about everything David Friedman is writing about is already flourishing on the sea. And it's time we just start bringing our institutions out there and engage this growing uh, uh, golden age, I feel like, that is approaching. And it's funny, I was I was going to present this idea in a whole talk for the first time at uh, at a place I saw you talk what, which which one was it? It um, Anarco. Anarcopulco. I don't think it was Anarcopulco. Um, I, 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 there's a bunch of them. I don't remember. I go to all. Of them. <laughs> was it in San Diego? It was in San Diego, I think. Libertopia. Libertopia. Uh-huh. So I was doing a presentation on this at Libertopia. And David like, Friedman hey. was at that event. Yeah, and he walks in, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> so I gave the presentation, thinking, "Okay, I'm just going to get reamed at the end of this. That's more complicated than that." And then it ends, and he, as soon as the presentation's over, he stands up and he comes walking straight towards me. And I'm like, and then he just comes to me and says, yeah, here's a list of books you should read. It's, he didn't, he, he seemed to support this notion and that I should write this book. Um, so it kind of passed the David Friedman muster. All right. So uh, the first ideas I read about with Patry Friedman and then with Michael Strong, who served on the Seasteading Institute He's awesome. Board. He's awesome, right? Mm-hmm. And like me, he's a he's a former progressive um, who was persuaded that our values are best realized by uh, libertarian principles. Uh, in fact, anarcho-capitalist principles. Um, so, uh, you know, in my opinion, the the libertarian arguments they win on both and, uh, and evidence. That's two very powerful ways to win. What was that? You broke up a little bit on evidence and what? And reason. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, it, it's 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 very persuasive that the thing that uh, makes uh, poor people rich is not like communist China getting control of everyone and then uh, making sure all the farms are evenly, you, you know, work on communes and then everyone starves. And then as soon as they open up their markets, the things become decentralized all of a sudden they start prospering. And the assertion in the book is that Hong Kong is sort of like a priestead, little island in Peninsula, who through historical accident and, and, and uh, that we won't describe here, you know, experimented with uh, open markets and just rapidly got much richer very quickly. Um, and China noticed this. Uh, and China started experimenting with little special economic zones. And over the next uh, you know, few decades, you know, three quarters of a billion people migrated to these special economic zones and started getting much richer, much faster. So if Hong Kong can change the minds of China and unleash a billion people from poverty and, and turn China into this uh, 
medieval backwater into something that's rapidly overtaking the rest of the world in economic power. Imagine what thousands of floating Hong Kongs could do, setting all sorts of examples for all different kinds of societies. Um, what if we could float these? What if what if uh, Hong Kong could could break away and float? What if Singapore, which is another great example, could make more little Singapores and they could float out at sea? And these were businesses. And if they fail, then the people who spend money on them lose money. But if they succeed, then people will imitate them and 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 make more. Uh, and we have uh, two thirds of the world's surface to do this in. We haven't even we haven't even really explored this planet. The obsolete governments from other centuries, they just have control mostly of the land. Mm -hmm. um, and the oceans uh, have a lot of leeway to experiment with voluntary societies mm -hmm. and demonstrate step by step that they work better. Yeah, I, th I think this is how we free and change the world. There's a lot of opportunity. And then through that experimentation, there will naturally be certain systems that are proven to be successful and create harmony amongst human beings and financial prosperity, lifting everyone up. And then maybe someday on earth, some of the nation states can emulate that stuff. And I think you make a good point. Like originally when liberalism, classical liberalism came about, it was all about relaxing constraints and freeing markets and shifting power away from only the sovereign rulers, the royalty and the monarchy, and kind of dispersing it a little bit more, not just the aristocrats, uh, but dispersing it downwards. And then all of a sudden that got perverted a lot with Karl Marx and liberalism got co-opted and it became about applying constraints. But you're right. And David Friedman's right. And Michael Strong is right. Whenever we free the market, we create an environment where people can be lifted up. And the communist social thing, socialism, it's not even like you have the rich people here and the poor people here, and then it levels the playing field. It ends up just bringing everybody down to, to serfdom and poverty, except for the elite that are in charge of the Communist Party or, or of the government. Um, this one's really big for me. I'm into natural health. I sell natural health products, controversial ones like the plant remedy Kratom, which is right here. Um, and the, the FDA is not a fan of it. They've made it hard for me to do business. On top of that, the FDA makes it difficult for people to take unapproved dietary supplements or drugs, right? There's this hardcore regulation and the insurance, the insurance, medical insurance is essentially a freaking scam. And it's like so much crony capitalism that has really damaged the industry and made it difficult for people to have a good and affordable healthcare. So I think that's this is a great use case for seasteading. Can you kind of share how some offshore hospitals or how this could all create medical tourism? There's people that go from the United States down to Mexico, which seems backwards, right? Because everyone thinks it's a third world country or whatever. But there's a lot more freedom. There's a lot more innovation. And it's a lot more affordable to just cross the border. But what if you could just hop on a boat and go out to the hospital ship at sea? What's that all about? You know, the people uh, who have been beating down our doors saying, where's my damn seastead? are, are uh, medical entrepreneurs, physicians, medical researchers. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> lots of the people featured in the book are the type of physicians that say, look, if I could float a medical care facility, a hospital off the coast of LA uh, and people with a 20 minute ferry ride to get 12 miles out could choose their own, um, uh, whatever their disease is, choose their own therapies in a different jurisdiction, uh, I could completely undercut uh, the, the state medical care 
and make things cheaper and all that sort of stuff. If you guys can figure out how to build one, that would be great. Um, there was a whole section in this book uh, about the medical researchers out there who say, you know, it, it costs me a billion dollars to get my therapy to market if it works. It actually should cost 10 million. And if I could just go out on the sea and experiment out there and narrow down the, the range of possibilities to move this forward, then I could bring it back and get it through the FDA process. Um, so, and then as I had a whole section of that book written and one by one, those people featured in the book sort of contacted me and saying, you know, I, I don't think I want to be in a book because I don't want the FDA paying attention to me. Jeez. Uh, you know, these, some, so like, it's the problem of this, the incentive structure of centralized power. So if I'm working at the FDA, innovations are happening all over the place. Something comes across my desk. I don't have the qualifications to know whether it's, if, whether it works or whether it's dangerous. Uh, so I do that in consultation with the, with people in the dominant industry who I get lunch with, who talk me through this sort of stuff. And if, um, I let something through that causes a crisis with one person, I'm on the hook and I'm called before Congress. If, if I bring something through and then it makes a pharmaceutical company $10 billion, I get no credit, I get no cash. So I'm always gonna be on the side of caution and that's just human nature. Um, so a lot of people interested in seasteading are interested and there's a group featured in the book that want to start a new free market regulatory regime that would even mirror existing structures in the US, many of them, and start them on the ocean and start the evolutionary process of new rules appropriate for 21st century medicine. So there isn't any one big crony capitalist that could that can buy off the relationships in the monopoly on regulations. So regulations are good, they already flourish at sea. I don't have a problem with regulations. As I, as I told, told John Stossel, I have a problem with a monopoly over the provision and enforcement of the regulations of any particular industry. That's just a recipe for corruption. And a lot of the people interested in the seasteading are trying to find ways around that. Yeah. A lot of regulation just turns out to be protectionism and making it difficult for the smaller firms to compete. And a lot of it is just about control. And even the word regulation, it means to make regular. And there's many market forces, uh, natural incentives and disincentives. When the markets are freed, these natural forces are able to take foot and reputation and ratings and reviews. And there can even be regulatory agencies or trade associations like the non-GMO project, for example. We don't need a bill that says all food must be labeled with non-GMO or GMO if it has GMO. There's already nonprofits and associations that are providing that function. There's no reason that can't be expanded expanded out elsewhere. Well, I think it's pretty clear how seasteads could liberate humanity from, from politicians, right? And I guess the implication is that it creates an environment where you can experiment with different forms of governance or even different forms of social organization. I try to shy away from the word government because it means like to rule over, to govern. Right. I like to say social organization and different mechanisms of how humans relate to one another. Oftentimes, if it's an anarcho-capitalist situation, it's like a contract that people have. Can you share some of these experiments, maybe hit on the work of Tom W. Bell and uh, what he is putting forward as some solutions to governance or how social organizations would take place on these seasteads? I'd be honored. Uh, I, I work with Tom almost every day. He's the lead um, 
lawyer volunteer at the Seasteading Institute. So there's no politicians on a cruise ship. Um, and we don't argue about what the, the governance should be. And when you go on a cruise ship, you're essentially choosing to vacation in private governance at sea. Uh, a population equivalent to Taiwan boards cruise ships every year. A lot of them are elderly. All sorts of things happen. Fist fights happen uh, uh, um, among drunks. Uh, old people have heart attacks. Cruise ships have to deal with all that. And we don't need to argue about how it works because we have choice among so many cruise lines. So the governance service providers are hustling to please us. So the seasteading contention is, well, what if these things floated permanently? What if you could choose among as many as you want? Why just vacation on a cruise ship? We can do this much more cheaply and much more environmentally sustainably if we lay the legal framework for us to do this permanently at sea. Now, the legal, to me, the leading scholar uh, on some of this stuff and the leading legal innovator is uh, Tom W. Bell, who he doesn't know it, but I was actually a fanboy long before, you know, I, I used to watch his, I used to read his papers and, and um, uh, I, I, his book is behind me. I keep it here. Your Next Government. His book is called Your Next Government? Question mark from nation states to na stateless nations. And in that book, he traces how since Hong Kong, the number of special economic zones have just proliferated across the world. Can you describe real quick what a special economic zone is for folks that may not be aware? Yes. Uh, a special economic zone is a government saying we're going to take some little geographical area and provide just for this area special little exemptions from certain taxes, from certain regulations. Um, there's lots of ports with these. There's lots of uh, little cities with these. There's tiny little factories that are their own special economic zones. And then there are giant ones like the one in Panama or the one in Shenzhen. Um, and it's funny. It's like people who work in governments admitting that they're preventing prosperity from happening. So we're going to create little special ones here, right? So pe people want to change the governments. I mean, a pox of experimentation over the last 60 or 70 years has just spread across the earth. It's this bottom-up, inside-out revolution in, go in governance, as Tom W. Bell talks about it. And more than 250 special economic zones are in the United States. So it's already wow. happening from the bottom up, and people don't even know about it. And a lot Who are of those our, controlled by? They're tr controlled by local. They're they're as diverse as any other uh, ecosystem species in any other ecosystem. They're designed for specific um, industries. They're they're whole towns. They're airports. They're they're big sections, small sections. Some are controlled by states. Some are federal. Some are 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 more mm -hmm. local. It's very it's very complicated, but that's good. So there's all this variety. So if you look at a map of the United States, it looks like it's breaking out in this pox of freedom. If you look at a map of where all the special economic zones are, cool. and I feature one of them in one of the videos I make. So Tom has shown this graph of how it went from like zero special economic zones, then Hong Kong, and then it just starts to pick up and the idea starts spreading around the world and it goes to Dubai. And it's responsible for much of the prosperity in the world. And then you see this wave of, of special economic zones just growing and growing and growing and growing even more in the 21st century. And now 75% of countries have at least one. So they really have spread everywhere. And if you look at the ones in China, they're mostly along the coast because the ocean is the superhighway of trade, right? So what if we started floating these? What if they detached from uh, 
countries and started going out on the sea. And then you don't have to give them any land, they bring their own land. This is how I've been negotiating with governments. We'll bring our own land. And then we we pay the cost of failure, we'll be humiliated. But if it succeeds, we share in the prosperity with you. That's a good deal, right? Mm-hmm. So Tom, the thing about special economic zones is they're usually not that radical. Uh, they're just little like changes in regulations, tax breaks, you know, we'll change some of these rules because we want this sort of thing to flourish here. So Tom has designed this C-zone, taking the best practices is his plan of all these rules and special economic zones that have been discovered in four and a half thousand around the world and applying them on, on sustainable floating islands at sea. Uh, posed, um, sort of like a peer group of the most prosperous countries in the world, like Scandinavian ones, American ones, who will sort of agree on the set of rules uh, to be on the first sea zone. And then you experiment with those and you see if that's more prosperous than what's on land. And if that works, you come back 10 years later and say, hey, country, do you like what we created? Do you like we made you famous for starting the seasteading? How about a little more freedom? And then Tom has the next phase, which is he wants uh, something he calls the deep blue zone, which is once special economic zones demonstrate that they're beneficial for the world and they're enriching the poor, curing the sick, being free of politicians, all that sort of stuff. Um, then you ask the country to le- legislate an area within their exclusive economic zone that serves as the high seas. So you don't have to go a whole 200 miles out. It's never been done before. Um, but so he's actually thought of the legal, he's theorized his way through the legal steps to going fully out onto the high seas and building your own blue economy out there. And, and a lot of really interesting stuff is in his book. Awesome. I love it. There's a lot of a lot of opportunity. And one thing that my listeners are aware of is that I'm a very optimistic, idealistic guy, still practical, still grounded in reality. But I I have hope for the future of freedom because it's it's the most consistent, pure way for human beings to to live, to operate. It's in our nature as sovereign human beings with free will. And the governments and these darker forces, conspiratorial forces, they have to use deceit and all sorts of sinister mechanisms in order to get their way. They lie a lot. And uh, I, I talk a lot about the Great Reset from the World Economic Forum and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, where essentially a lot of this will take place in smart cities. And there, there's innovation there. There's benefit with this technology. But unfortunately, a lot of it is being rolled out in order to control people in order to track and catalog human activities, all commercial activities. And so I like seasteading. I like intentional communities and eco villages. I like the thought of sending up ships, the space steads that people can live and exist on, um, carving out little opportunities for freedom to flourish. And I want people to understand that we don't have to live in fear. We don't have to get disillusioned to the point where we don't act or we don't participate in this because we're all very powerful people. And there's a lot of really smart people. There's a lot of really wealthy people. There's a lot of people that have done things and that will continue to do things. 
And this is not a pipe dream, it's a reality. So I'd like to spend the rest of the conversation talking about some of the real world cases that are taking place right now and some of the progress that you guys have made. Perhaps we can center in on, on the work that Ocean Builders is doing. Let me show, because we showed the one earlier, like you said, it was a proto prototype. It wasn't very sexy, but what they have here on this website, this C-Pod, this is pretty sexy. Can you kind of explain what, what this is, what we're looking at here for the, the video audience? Yes. So uh, one of the, the CEO of Ocean Builders now, he went out and, and, and checked out the first prototype uh, was astonished at how beautiful it was to be out there and looking out and realizing, oh my God, this thing completely works. Uh, but he's a designer and he instantly started thinking about, well, how do we make it pretty? Like, so it was just a pure, the engineers made that and now the designers have to get involved. Uh, and his name is Grant Romant, quite a visionary uh, with a real artistic eye. And he has partnered with uh, Kuhn Uthaus, uh, who's the world's leading water aqu aquitect. Uh, architect. Um, and the two of them have designed uh, a lot of these sea uh, pods, which basically serve as, a, as like a, a floating wine bottle is how I talk about it. Great image. That's what it's going to look like above the water. And far below those, um, the deep down underneath the ocean, there's like heavy weight to hold it steady in the, in the oceans. Um, so, uh, they have bought a cruise ship. They've named it the Satoshi and they are earnest to get the, uh, community, uh, that's going to help them build sea pods. So they're selling spaces on the cruise ship for between, uh, 25 us dollars and, uh, uh 25,000 us dollars and 50,000 us dollars. I was like 25, I'll take 10 of them. Yeah. <laughs> But still, $25,000, that's not impractical for most people. No. Uh, and and I've, I've been on like three or four cruises at this point. Sometimes I get invited to them uh, to talk about seasteading. And I find it really comfortable. Um, and the idea is that you're going to open businesses on this. You're going to need hair cutters. You're going to need uh, uh, Nadia's opening a Thai restaurant. Cool. Um, she was one of the people on the first seastead. And they want to build like a little suburb, a little town of free thinking people. And it'll be an incubation hub where people learn about cryptocurrencies. It'll be all, you know, people like we know mm -hmm. uh, who will be on this thing, interested in starting new free societies. And it'll be a great place to learn about how to use proton mail, about how to use Signal, about how to use Bitcoin, how to use Ethereum, how do you do a smart contract? They're interested in all that stuff. So they want to create a little incubation hub to get that going and then uh, float, take their, the largest 3D printer in Latin America is in Panama right now, printing out the first, the models for this first C pod. Cool. Um, pretty soon they want to float that thing out to the cruise ship, put it on a barge and start, start an assembly line of these things, uh, getting these things out. Wow. But they want to start by filling the cruise ship which I've, I always call cruise ships pre-steads. Mm -hmm. And the cruise ship is going to stay in one place. Um, the Panama government supports it. Uh, the Minister of Foreign Finance has tweeted about it. Uh, and yeah, that's the spot where the cruise ship will probably be and where the special maritime zone will be. There's a lot of Americans and American business and expatriates down there already. What was amazing was uh, we were kind of independently 
the coincidences involved in this are pretty amazing. We were pretty much independently being sold on the idea that the ideal place uh, to start is Panama. And then after that, discovered that most of the people interested in freedom already have a residency in Panama. <laughs> there you go. So everyone at Ocean Builders, uh, except one guy, I think, already had a residency in Panama before all this started. It's destiny. So this, this, they already own this cruise ship. This isn't an idea. This is the real deal. It's already underway. Is that correct? It's underway. Uh, Captain Rudy is sailing it to Panama right now. Wow. Uh, he's going to deliver it. They're going to float on it. And uh, he's very grouchy right now because he's getting regulated to death and charged to death by every little stupid rule Jeez. in order to convert this thing from a, a, a cruise ship for tourists to a home where people live. Yeah. Soon it will get to Panama and uh it will it's it's a it's a top of the line luxury princess cruise ship. Wow. Um and of course the the cruise industry is suffering possibly worse than any other industry right now. So this type of strategy for Seedsteads is more accessible than ever, huh? Yeah. It's amazing how many people said, "Man, you could probably get these things for a couple million right now because they're selling them for scrap." Uh but there's a lot of people said it, but only ocean builders actually did it. Wow. So, so they have a, a they are ambitious. They want to move millions of people as one of them says to the oceans as quickly as possible. They want to build these things. They want to, they want to make it cash flow positive there. Uh, but right now they're the only investors so far. Um, and they want to sell the cabins uh, as inexpensively impossible, get, uh, aquapreneurs on board the ship, start building the community. Uh, Panama's beautiful weather. It's it's warm. Uh, and they're figuring it out. And Rudy, the lead engineer, just wrote a paper that the Seasteading Institute plans to publish about how to convert cruise ships into carbon neutral, sustainable seasteads. Right on. Um, and he's got a whole plan for that. All sorts of innovation. Now, these sea, these sea pods... And this cruise ship, the Satoshi cruise ship, they will be under the governance of Panama or is it we're taking baby steps here towards maybe eventually having sovereignty? What's what's that? What's that all about? Yeah, it's it's baby steps. The the, the first time I heard uh, the term strategic incrementalism is when I first <laughs> heard Patri. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think of this as a two pronged approach for freedom. One is run by Ocean Builders. There are other companies as well. We can talk about them later. The other one is run by the nonprofit Seasteading Institute. Okay. Ocean Builders is pushing forward the cooperating with, a, with a, a friendly host government and making the technology to float on the high seas, the marine okay. engineering technology, the business model, how to make a cash flow positive, all of that. The nonprofit Seasteading Institute, which I run with a lot of help from Tom W. Bell, is trying to lay the, the legal foundation for us to do this legally on the high sea. Okay. Um, and that if the, we think the immediate path forward is a flag of convenience, specially designed for seasteads. Uh, we have a whole lot of um, flagging registries to choose from, and we have a whole lot of free market certification societies to choose from. And we have a whole lot of insurers to choose from. And if we can make this safe for families, uh, at sea, we'll really have something going. 
but the flag will be a public good available to all Seastead companies everywhere. So it's not that particular thing would not be run by a company that would be run by the nonprofit Seasteading Institute. Let's let's uh, help my listeners get a, a better understanding of a flag of convenience. We had a question earlier also on this subject. John McCone from YouTube says, are there any flags of convenience that have been issued to date that are not associated with any existing sovereign nation? So can you share the implication for this flag of convenience? What does it what does it mean and why is it important? So, so the answer is no. So uh, every country has the right to sail ships on the ocean and flag them. Not all countries are that well run. So often they uh, contract out their flagging services to specialized flagging registries. So if you want to run a cargo ship with a Liberian flag, which is an African country, you're going to be talking to uh, Americans who are running the flag on their behalf and then paying money to uh, Liberia as the cost of flagging your, sh your cargo ship and having it sailing around the world. Um, and that's a huge part of uh, Liberia's GDP. The largest flagging registry in the world is Panama. So the problem with seasteads is that no one is ever, there is no legal framework for a seastead yet. And so, governments are just like, uh, there's, we don't know what to do. It's not on paper, so we don't want to do anything. That's why you guys are like charting the uncharted right. waters. So if you just float something out there with no flag to protect you, there's no framework for what that means or who you are. If you have a baby on that thing, what's the citizenship of the baby? I suppose if it's mm. an American, you know, it goes on and on and on. It's so, like an extension of the sovereignty of a nation and you're, operating under their rules? Right now, it's like an extension of the sovereignty of the nation. But if you're flying the flag of Panama, it's different from a, a, a territorial flag of Panama is different from a flag of convenience. So there's a different set of rules for the cruise ship that I was on up in Alaska, uh, where Panama is way down near the equator and if something happens on the ship, you, you, you can't call Panama. You're going to have a long wait time. So the you have considerable abilities to do all sorts of governance on your ship. But you have to do it. You have to, you're providing it privately through your cruise line. And you want to do it in such a way as to not embarrass Panama. So the, the strategic incrementalism is not just in the maritime engineering. It's also in the legal engineering. So step one would be considerable leeway and freedom with regard to a flag of convenience outside the territorial waters of a country from a country, say, if you do it by Liberia. Liberia has no ability to force rules. Uh, they have to hire uh, private industries that hire the, the, the uh, security, uh, that arrange for insurance, all that sort of stuff. So they're farming out their governance services. Uh, to people who run flags of convenience. So if we can do this for seasteads, we could fly a flag of uh, convenience of some particular country, have a large amount of freedom. And then if we set good examples, or go to the UN and say, we want um, recognition as, as sovereignty or re recognition as some new kind of structure. Maybe we can get our own flag. Uh, it's very. I I have Seastead lawyer friends who have expressed an interest in arguing exactly that case in the courts of international law. 
You know, another way to do this is, you know, if Kiribati, their islands are getting very thin, that country is scheduled to disappear under the sea. If they transition to being seasteads, do they lose their special economic zone? Uh, what, what happens to the babies born on there? Are, there, are they stateless? There's a whole department in the UN devoted to preventing the statelessness among children. I know that doesn't make you very happy, but it's about using the levers that already exist. And you say, okay, Kiribati can be a floating nation now. They're basically a seastead nation. Okay, now you have a precedent. Someone else comes along and builds one next door. What are they? Um, I think I think if you set good examples and they're environmentally restorative, don't directly provoke the the large nations. I think you can steadily grow seasteads legally. And the analogy I use is if if the big nation states are sharks, then you want to act like a cleaner fish. You want to provide a service that the shark appreciates, like the Cayman Islands. And then mm -hmm. they won't invade you and beat you up. They'll allow you to prosper. And then you, you want lots of those type of species growing out on the sea, setting examples. Yeah. I've noticed as, as I've gotten older, I still stay true to my radical roots, but I do more understand and appreciate the middle path, right? There's the full on status path where it's like, let's try to reform our government or we don't need to bother with this crazy sea stuff. And then there's the radical path that's like, I want to have stateless kids and I want to just go ahead and plop it out there and they can kiss my ass for all I care. Right. And then there's this middle path because uh, it does take a lot of money and a lot of investment in order to actually build these and to perfect them. And you want to protect that investment. Right. So there's there's this middle path that I see you guys taking. And I think that that is the correct path to actually prove that this works to carve out the legal framework. And then from there, hopefully, because, you know, we have markets for goods, we have markets for Kratom, we have markets for programs that people choose to watch. And if we can improve the market for governance, then I think that'll only lead to a cascading effect where other people are like, oh, well, they have that system. I'd like to try that system. Why can't we try that system here? And then there'd be like a party that runs on on this new form of governments on the land as well. So there's yeah. nothing but good that could come out of out of these efforts. And uh, the Ocean Builders has solved the final challenge, which would always just be like, oh, uh, you have to be rich to afford one of these things. Well, uh, the engineer in an email today uh, told me I intend to build the Model T. So the C pod he wants to have on the high seas, he wants to beat the price point of the average American home. Nice. Um, and so it sell these directly to customers. And that's what they want to do in Panama. And the rooms on the cruise ship will be even cheaper. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been really great speaking with you. The website, again, is seasteading.org. There's all sorts of papers, research. There's a podcast. I had the privilege of producing this podcast and helping Carly Jackson to make that a reality. Lots of really great interviews that get in-depth on a lot of what we've covered today. Is there anything else that we're missing or any parting words you'd like to uh, share with the audience there, Joe? Uh, the Seasteading Institute runs itself entirely on donations from people who see this as the path forward. Individuals okay. donate, no, nothing else. Uh, also, uh, Peter Thiel doesn't support the Seasteading Institute. Okay. So everyone keeps saying that's not true. Um, and if you're interested in getting involved in this community, go, go to Ocean Builders, uh, see if you can uh, 
afford to buy a, a cabin on their ship or join their uh, incubator that they're, the Seasteading Institute is going to co-host down there. This is the immediate path forward for building the first free in 2021. And I think this is going to be history making. And I think these guys are going to be, I think Tom W. Bell is going to be like the John Adams of the aquatic revolution. And I think Chad and Nadia are going to go down in history. Right on. Cool. Well, it sounds like there's opportunities for anyone to be part of this history. So thank you, Joe, for joining us today and uh, keep up the good work with this awesome, innovative stuff, innovation all the way around. Thanks again. I appreciate what you do, John. Thanks. Right on. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Quirk of the Seasteading Institute, seasteading.org. And I wanted to bring him on just to show people that there are solutions and even though we spend a lot of time on this program talking about the problem, it always goes back to opportunities to carve out freedom for individuals, communities, families, and eventually entire nations of free people cooperating together with competitive forms of governance, living good, free health, health freedom, I should say, not free health care per se. Although if somebody wants to do that on their little seastead, by all means. Again, the website seasteading.org and stay positive, everybody, because there's a lot of cool stuff going on in this world. This is John Bush for the Live Free Now Show. I'm out. Thank you so much. <laughs>